0: Hi, Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin our show today calling in the spirits to hold us well in our time here together. So I call out to the ancestors, your ancestors and mine. I call out to all those who are good and true and beautiful in our ancestral lines to bring to us the legacy of those who have gone before us, that we might learn from the mistakes of humans in the past, And use their life, use their lessons, use their learnings to innovate, to heal, to forgive, to change, and to go forward in new ways. So I ask these ancestors to be with us here today to gather round, that we might be able to manifest the true and great dream of humanity here on Earth today. I call out to the energy of the earth below to be with us here today that we all might know this place as home, to feel that we belong and that we are connected, and even more so that we are interconnected and one with all things. I call out to the energy of the earth and give thanks to the earth for the miracle of life, for the wonder of the dreaming that brought life to this planet. And may we each go forward in this day, remembering that we are a part of that miracle and let us touch others in this day so that they remember as well. And with our feet firmly planted on the earth and the ancestors gathered round, as well as our own helping spirits, I call out to the energy of the sky to come down. May we reach up all the way to the highest power of the universe and call this energy down into our lives, into our day and into these proceedings here we call out to this energy to bring us blessing, to bring us the generosity of life and to protect us. May these energies come in that we might know the benevolence of our universe and understand that all that we need is here for us. We need simply to learn to ask and to receive and to let go of those things we no longer need that are already filling our hands. So with open hands and an open heart, let us call out to the energy of the sky above and the earth below And let these energies merge within us that it might awaken in each one of us the power of the heart. And I call out to the energy of the heart to be with us today and to use its unique power to draw up the passions of the belly and draw down the clarity of the mind and to merge these two in the heart that each one of us might creatively discover what it is that we have come into this life to do and to go forward in this way doing it. So, welcome everyone. Thank you for joining me here today. I want to give thanks to the members of Last Mass Community for their generous donations that keep us on the air. And also to give thanks for our listeners who are beginning to donate and are helping to keep this show alive and well and available all over the world. So, I give thanks to Malama and to Sherwood, our most recent listeners who are donating. Thank you so much. Every single dollar helps or Euro, or um, whatever dom- denomination. It doesn't really matter. It all helps. It helps us to keep this show available for people. And all of the downloads, of course, are available um, on iTunes and at the Co-Creator Network site. So thank you all for being with me here today. The show today is a new topic that I call Outlaw Shamanism. And so what I want to explore here today with you is how do we honor our traditions, especially since people have truly kept those traditions alive at the threat of death, you know, so how do we honor these traditions while still keeping our shamanic practices alive and potent and inspired and authentic? So how do we walk that interface between tradition and a spirit-driven innovation to discover how can we rise to the call of what is needed today in an effective shamanic practice? I think that we we need to to understand as shamanic practitioners that um, are not traditional people practicing in the tradition of their birth which is um, a blessing and a gift and not something I, for example, in my life have the joy to experience that my ancestors walked away from their shamanic roots a very, very long time ago. And while those roots are there, the practices um, have not been alive and well on earth for quite some time. And so there's this dance then between those who have kept traditions alive which is powerful and beautiful and important. And those of us who must ask ourselves regularly in our practice, hmm, what did that first shaman do? Because before there was a tradition, there was a first shaman of that tradition who asked, what do I do? Who asked the spirit world, who asked the spirits of the land, who asked the helping spirits that were present, what do I do to heal this child? What do I do to bring harmony back to this community? What do I do to bring food, the well-being of the plants, for example, or the um, abundance of game? That these, these challenges, which are simply how do we live our lives in a good way, Remain with us. And what we need to remember, as beautiful and valuable as shamanic traditions are, at the same time, there was a first shaman of that tradition who asked, what do I do? And so we, as contemporary practitioners, need to know that we can also ask that question again. Hmm, what do I do? To go straight to spirit and ask, what do I do? Because the challenge in looking at the past is that we can get lost in the forms and not really recognize the function that is happening in the rituals and ceremonies of the past that were effective. And the question we need to ask ourselves is, are they still effective? And if we don't understand the functions we have lost in the form and the costumes and the beauty and the exotic nature of it and the power of it. Um, When we get lost in that, we may not understand the function. Um, A a shamanic practitioner was telling me a story about how um, these people in the town that she lived in kept telling her that she should go, go to this house And this is the house she should live in because it's so powerful. And when she finally went to this house, she found that the energy there was very strange and funky. It was powerful, yes, but the quality of it was really problematic. And she wouldn't even imagine trying to practice there. And so my point is just that we may still carry within ourselves the capacity to... Recognize that something is or isn't powerful, something is or isn't going on. But we don't necessarily have well developed in our current culture the ability to discern what is going on, what is the 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 quality, not necessarily in a sense of good or bad, but more in terms of the characteristics. What is the the quality and characteristics of what is going on versus just that it's big? You know, because big is not necessarily better. Um, there is no value in conducting a big ritual if it doesn 't accomplish the purpose of the ritual. and the purpose might be accomplished in a very small and simple way and so So the challenge then in in getting um, in feeling that we need to validate our contemporary work by attaching it to tradition is that we can get lost or never even understand the true functions and the forms. And in that way, we are practicing by rote and we are not necessarily um, approaching the problems of the day in the most effective way. Okay, so that's one challenge on one hand. The other challenge in the present is practicing forms um, that no longer function within the communities and systems that do not respect the cultivation and energy renewal necessary to practice with heartfelt power and to practice without burning out. So it's a very long way of saying, basically, one of the challenges in the present is practicing shamanism in a way that no longer functions because the context, the communities, the people, the place into which the practices are being received no longer function in a way that the shamanic work has anything to latch onto. Um, And the other issue here as for contemporary practitioners is we might be endeavoring to practice as, as prescribed by traditional practitioners, but doing so in a contemporary world can only lead to burnout. There's no other possible way forward because the context has changed so drastically um, between contemporary cultures and what were pre-contact shamanic cultures, so that's one of the um, issues in the in the, for practicing without tradition. Essentially, the other challenge for contemporary practitioners who are wanting to innovate, um, to change things that are traditional, and to innovate is that we often want to change things because the thing that is effective feels too hard or the thing that is effective scares people and they don't come to our classes and we can't make any money. I mean, I don't mean to be pushing anybody's buttons here, but the bottom line for a lot of contemporary practitioners is that the real work is real hard to get people to come and do. That My um, publisher said, Christina, you're like castor oil. Everybody needs you, but no one wants you. (laughs) (laughs) because <laughs> it tastes bad. Um it's a challenge to look at what is really going on. The I often think of the stories that I researched a lot, read a lot as I was researching the encyclopedia about how in the Arctic, mostly in North American Arctic, but anyway, in the Arctic, if you if the animals were withheld by the mistress of the animals, there was simply no food in most seasons. You know, it's not like you're growing crops up there in the Arctic, right? And so if the animals are withheld, people starve and die. And this was one of the great and common tasks brought to the shaman was for the shaman to journey deep to the bottom of the sea to Sedna, the mistress of the animals, to ask, to plead, to beg for animals to be released to the people so the people could hunt them and have food, and Sedna's response was pretty much always the same you don't deserve my animals because of your behavior and the shaman would continue um, to coax Sedna and do things for her in uh, as offerings in asking her finally to let him let he, him or her know what the people needed to know to be able to be worthy of the animals and It always boiled down to the same thing is that the people needed to confess their transgressions against each other, their transgressions against themselves and their own souls and why they are here. They needed to stop lying to themselves and to others and that all of the, the trespasses in the community towards each other and towards themselves all had to come to the surface, to be owned, to be acknowledged, to be expressed, to be um, asked for forgiveness and forgiveness given For the people to be worthy of the animals. Can you imagine in any contemporary neighborhood here, anywhere in America, people being willing as a community to confess all of their transgressions against each other and against themselves, everything that has put them out of sorts with the environment, with the spirit world, with the other humans with which they live, all the taboos broken? all of the little lies told, all of that, so that there would be food for any of them to eat. I mean, that's how shamanic communities functioned. That was one of the the traditional shamanic healing in the Arctic. And so one of the things I see is the challenge of a contemporary practitioner is the communities themselves, the place into which the shamanic healing is delivered is really not remotely prepared to act on the answers that we are given because I will tell you on no uncertain terms, these are still the answers spirit gives. And the challenge then of a contemporary practitioner is how do I take that answer and offer it to the people in a way that is going to be useful and effective and productive. I know that I often get, get requests from people asking, um, for example, help me to clear the issue in my, in my ancestral line that keeps me from stepping into my power that I've, you know, I've done my personal work. I've gone to classes. I have all this training. I have every, I've cleared everything I can here in my life. Why can't I step into my power? It must be the ancestors. And I journey and I find out, well, yeah, it is your ancestors. And it can't be fixed in a session. You know that that to to deal with the healing of your ancestors is going to take some time and some effort and some work on your part. And for most people, like oh, well, thank you very much. I don't like that answer. I'll go somewhere else. And so this is the challenge of contemporary practitioners. It's um, how do we practice in the context that we are in. Much of what is traditional and would still be effective today isn't, because it isn't met by a context that even can begin to integrate it. Um, and then the other piece is many shamanic practitioners chicken out; that they 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 find a soft answer, they find which isn't an answer. That they offer up a solution that is a band aid on what is a hemorrhaging hole in someone. And so because they have a need, their rationalization is I have a need to put food on my table. Well, I do have a need to put food on my table, but I have also made promises. There are vows that I have taken in my relationship with the spirit world and one of them is about not lying. So, it's tricky. It's a tricky tricky interface to navigate this this line, this it's not a line, it's an interface. It's a dance between tradition and what is valuable and worthy and meaningful and effective coming out of the shamanic traditions. Um, I mean, look at the story, the show we did on Horse Boy, or just read the story, Horse Boy, read the book, see the movie. I mean, here you have a kid with a diagnosed contemporary problem, autism. And it is his work, his, his connection and work with his primary helping spirit, the horse, and traveling to horse shamans to to the people in Siberia who are who are classic horse people and and experiencing the shamanic healing these people have to give that that brings this boy the healing that he needs that's completely outside of the expectations or limitations or beliefs of contemporary healing so this show is certainly not saying traditional shamanism doesn't work It's the show is about how do we as contemporary practitioners navigate this interface between tradition and the need for innovation and creativity and inspiration from our own helping spirits for how does this work today? How does this work in this context, in this environment? And what does it take as a contemporary practitioner not only to navigate that, but to have the courage? to tell people what they don't want to hear, just like that Arctic shaman of the past to come back from this journey and start telling people what they don't want to hear, because that is the healing that is necessary for whatever it is that the people want. So how how do we navigate this interface? And so this is for to try to make this a happier subject. Because it is. I mean, it's not that it's a happy or unhappy subject for contemporary practitioners. This is the subject. But I've named it outlaw shamanism because there is a certain sort of outlaw um, attitude about it where we have to be willing to, I guess I'm thinking of the romantic notion of outlaws, at least in America and certainly in England and that tradition where the outlaw is the person who stands up for what is right when the law isn't doing it any longer. And right now there are politics in shamanism, certainly in America, there are contemporary politics in the shamanic communities in America. There are traditional politics around traditional teachings. And then there's people's garden variety dysfunction. And so there's all of these dynamics coming together in how do we as contemporary practitioners practice. So, One of the big issues then that we need to come to terms with in this is that one of the reasons that traditional forms and new and innovative forms don't function well is because they can't function outside of the energetic systems they were designed to work in. So, for example, I mean, think of yourself. You get a brand spanking new computer with Wi-Fi and pre-installed software and all that great stuff, and you're ready to just plug that baby in and go. But if you don't have any electricity or there is no Wi-Fi signal, then your beautiful new computer is all potential, that you can't access the power and the potential of that system and all that it is designed to do if you do not have that energy system the computer is meant to plug into, and I think that this is a perfect metaphor for most people practicing shamanism today. Is there we've got this great tool like a computer, but there's the energy system we want to plug it into just isn't happening because everything that uses energy is designed within that context. So like the computer being designed to work within our context of electricity and radio signals and Wi-Fi, you know, I don't, the cellular signals, I'm not sure they're the same as radio signals. But, you know, my point is, this equipment is designed to function in our current energetic system. Well, similarly, shamanic ritual and ceremony is designed to work within a particular energetic system. And so it isn't any different than for the rituals and ceremonies of shamanic practitioners. Um, If the system isn't there to plug these rituals into, then they're not going to be powerful or they are going to be marginally powerful. Um, But they certainly aren't going to have the potent effect that they could have if there was a real socket to plug that baby into and let it roll. Right. And so, so, At this point, I'm probably losing all of you. So let me just kind of back up here a little bit. One example I've used a lot in shows because it was so profound is the Shipibo shamans who are kind of um, above the Amazon and below the high Andes in South America. And they are shamans of song. They're people of song, song and pattern and weaving because, well, they're actually people of pattern. And the two ways they manifest the patterns that they see, the energetic patterns that they see and experience, is they sing those patterns and they weave those patterns. And they're all the same patterns, just manifest in all these different forms. And um, So these people choose to live so that they are always able to sense or see these patterns and that they... They choose to live in a way that they can interface effectively with the energies that run just below the surface of what we see. It's not that they are not capable of living in a different way, as we often um, assume, you know, sort of derogatorily, that primitive people weren't capable of inventing a toaster, but more that they choose to live in that way so that they can tend the essence energies that are the, energy system that keeps their whole world moving um, another example um, a, f- a friend and colleague of mine william horden who blogs on huffington post his recent blog was telling uh, told some stories of the tarahumara indians um or native people of mexico and um what this young man said: These are runners. These people live in these deep, deep canyons, and they run up and down these canyon walls. It's it's truly unbelievable. They're like six hundred foot cliffs, and these people run up and down them as just a way of life. And this young runner um, is saying in a story that Williams shared um, in his blog is first you have the first the first thing you have to do is catch a hummingbird with your hands. The young man says it never changes. Um, my great, 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 great grandfather was a famous runner. And now all the men of our family keep this tradition alive. And so the young man continues. And he says to William and the, these people that he meets, he says um, that his grandfather passes on passed on this form that our family follows in order to get the strength to run up these canyon walls. So first, you catch the hummingbird in your hands. And then you must hold it between both hands until it calms down. This teaches you patience because it might take a couple hours before it trusts you. And then you open your hand and let it perch there so it knows you're going to let it go. While it sits on your hand, you sprinkle corn silk pollen on its wings and wait for it to fly. As soon as it takes off, You have to run through the cloud of corn silk pollen that it leaves behind. And the young man says, I was able to complete this form when I was 16 years old, and that is how I earned the strength to run up and down the canyon. Can you imagine a 16-year-old American boy or girl catching the hummingbird in the first place and having the patience to sit and wait for the hummingbird to calm down? And for them to have a presence of being that was so of the heart, so at peace, so calm themselves, that when their hands opened, the hummingbird would stay. This is a 16-year-old boy. You know, 16-year-olds are 16-year-olds. So my point is just that this young man, this 16-year-old boy, is growing up in a system, in an energetic system that is expecting something different of him than contemporary America. Another example of these energy systems comes from the Andean Codex, which is a book you can get your hands on by E.J. Williams. And it speaks of the five principles that connect with one another in a circular flow that uh, perpetuates their power in the community. So these are principles that the community chooses to live by in such a way that energy will flow equally amongst people. And it embodies these these principles, embody the wisdom that lies just beneath our knowing. So once again, here we have people that understand and choose to live in a way that will cultivate and tend the energy that exists just below the surface. Um so the first principle is called the way of love and beauty and it means feeling your feelings and emotions and radiating out caring and loving kindness. So imagine Spending your day in that way, feeling the feelings that you're feeling and being with them and allowing them to move and flow to the point where you return to a place of love and kindness and caring, and that that is the single emotion or the single quality of emotions that you radiate out. And you don't radiate out other feelings, that it's your responsibility. That's just principle number one. And principle number two speaks of a way of knowledge, and it means to learn, to know, and to remember. So it has to do with how we approach the acquisition of knowledge and what knowledge actually is. So the idea of having our heads filled with unrelated items from the internet is not considered knowledge. It is unrelated. It's not connected. There's no. It doesn't connect into what we remember and to what the descendants are calling forward. The third principle is a way of action. It means to work in right livelihood in a way that is ecologically sound, is a benefit to other and encourages community service. So it's a way that is then profitable, but not necessarily capitalistic. So in other words, it profits, but not with profit as its entire motive, that the motivation is that it is also equally motivating is that is ecologically sound then it benefits others and it encourages community service in addition to being good work. So the fourth principle is cultivates the awareness of an energy matrix that makes up this understanding of, of the energy that's just below the surface. And so what I would, the way I talk about this energy with my students is it's not just that there's this sort of this generic energy below the surface and we know what's there, but we can't really deal with it. We deal with it all the time. Everyone deals with it every night in their sleep, that this energy flows and it flows in currents and it flows in patterns. And the names we have for these things are archetypes and myth, and that these are the energies and we have the essence energies that I've talked about on past shows and that these are people choosing to live in a way that tends these energies, the energies of the mythic path, the energy of the archetypal patterns, and ultimately the energy of the, of the essence of things, and that we live in a way that strengthens, strengthens these energies, not in a way that dissipates them and diminishes them. And that ultimately in living in this way, things come into a flow of gratitude and reciprocity. And this means that there is a constant interchange of love and knowledge and work. And that this is a law of universal responsibility that, that the pine tree I can see out my window is being a pine tree and it is doing its work to be a pine tree and that it engages with me, Christina, doing my work as a woman, which engages with the pear tree that is now growing pears, which engages with the weather, which is touching on this person over here who is needing the sun to do their work for this day. And that all of these things interconnect. And that when we live in a way that acknowledges that interconnection, we have to choose to cultivate a certain kind of person and a certain kind of presence in the world. And so again, my point in all of this was pointing out there's a great diversity but a great consistency in these pre-contact shamanic cultures for living in an energetic system that allows the shamanic healing to plug in effectively. And so much past ritual doesn't work so well in contemporary cultures because there's no energy system for it to plug into. And all we feel is, wow, that was big but well, we don't aren't necessarily able to access the subtlety of the function of the ritual because we are like the computer that has no wall socket to plug into, that has no Wi-Fi signal to pick up, that the system isn't present to allow the computer to work. And it's like that with shamanism as well. So what's my point? My point is just that we have to lead, we, the practitioners, I believe, need to lead the change by caring about different things in our own lives and beginning to manifest this energetic system in our own life. And um, there are examples of tiny pieces of systems designed to plug into energies that exist that are far bigger than we are, and our behavior affects our relationship with these energies. And we need to remember that these energies are not um, inscrutable, that we already have words for them, we know of them. I mean, for goodness sakes, Joseph Campbell spent his entire life talking to us about them beautifully as he talked to us about the energies of myth and archetype and that these are the energies we must tap to truly work in ritual and ceremony. So let's take a look here really quick at ritual and ceremony and what these terms mean functionally. And it is not my intent to argue semantics that many people get caught up because as let's say hopi traditions got translated into english they chose the word ceremony to speak of their sacred activities and other people translated into english and chose the word ritual and a lot of this is is somewhat arbitrary in even an american under or an english per speaking person's understanding of english or german because a lot of germans translated a lot of this work of indigenous people around the world. And then it gets translated into English and there's lots lost in the translation. And so I'm not arguing the semantics of how some people chose to call what they're doing. I'm trying to talk about ritual and ceremony as these are, this is my first language English. And I'm trying to talk about shamanism functionally. So don't take it personally. It's functional. And so for my money, Functionally speaking, ritual and ceremony are similar in one way, and that they are each activities that shamans engage in, as do other practitioners of other other Wiccan practitioners, for example, or something like that. But that anyway, these are these are activities that practitioners engage in to draw the energy of spirit into the realm of the people. To assist the people in doing things they cannot do for themselves. Either because we simply can't. We just can't figure out how to get out of the mess that we're in. And so we're calling spirit in to help us. Or we understand the mess clearly. But we are surrendering and asking for spirit's help. Because we are not choosing to use our time and energy to spend the amount of time it would take to do this in a logical fashion. That we were asking spirit to come in and do it in a spirit fashion so that it can can be done with greater dispatch. And so in this way, ritual and ceremony are the same. That they are used to call spirit in to assist the people in doing what they cannot or are no longer choosing to do for themselves, but are asking for help. The difference functionally for ritual is that ritual is used to create change. So in other words, ritual is used to call spirit in to help the people to create change that they're not able to create for themselves. Ceremony, conversely, is used to reinforce the status quo. So in the healing ritual or healing event um, in the Arctic shaman that I talked about in the very beginning of this show, where the shaman journeys down under the sea to Sedna, the mistress of the animals to ask what is necessary for the people to be worthy of her creatures so they can eat that what this, what the shaman brings back is essentially a ceremony that these people do over and over and over and over again. And the ceremony, the, the, it is a, it's a ceremony in its function because the people are, is clearing the dissonance, clearing the garbage, clearing the waste, clearing the mess that has, been deposited in the energetic connections of the community, they're clearing that out of the way. So the community can return to its shared beliefs, can return to its shared values, can act again based on their agreed upon principles. So in other words, it's a return to a status quo. And so ceremony is similar over and over again, that there is a familiarity in it because it is similar and the power of ceremony is in its sameness, in it, because that in and of itself helps to reconnect us to what we know and love and share. And so ceremony reinforces a status quo, whereas ritual changes it. And ritual is not the same twice. And ritual is diagnosed and divined precisely for the event. And so if we're wanting to change things, then we have to be very careful using, quote-unquote, traditional rituals to try to create change in present time. This is truly the moment where, as contemporary practitioners, we have to go, hmm, you know, learning everything I have learned from rituals in the past, I need to go ask the questions. What would the first shaman do presented with this problem for these people at this time in this place, because the people, the place, the time, and the problem are all variables in coming to understand what is the true medicine. In other words, what is the ritual that will allow these people to create the change they need to create? And what's most important in that today is and what is the preparation necessary for that ritual to be able to run its course. So these are the basic fundamental differences between ritual and ceremony functionally, just to be able to understand how I'm using the words. I'm not saying everybody in the universe has to use them that way, but this is how I use them so that I, as a contemporary practitioner can ask this question and understand the answer. When is the traditional form, the most powerful form, not only because it's the form that works, but it's got history behind it. It's been done over and over again. And when do we need to innovate? So what, what is really important then as, as contemporary practitioners is that we learn what rules of tradition we can break. And what rules of energy and tradition must we follow, even if we are uh, to create new and innovative ways to do ritual and ceremony. In other words, Studying with a particular traditional shaman, we were trying to understand a very complex process, healing process. It was actually a funeral, traditional funeral. It was very complex. It was four days long, had many stages, many ceremonies, and many rituals. in And we were really trying to understand, or at least I was really trying to understand, functionally, how did each element of the process function so that I could really make sure with my own helping spirits... Would this be the best form to accomplish that function? And unfortunately, the answer that I got a lot from that teacher was, well, that's just how we do it. And so what that meant to me is that he didn't actually understand the functions anymore, that he simply had had that form handed down to him. And for those people in that place, on that land, with that history and that shared cosmology that may well have been the best form to function as a funeral. But I don't necessarily know that importing that whole ritual and ceremonial process here to North America, to people today who don't have the same context and we have different spirits of the land, um, different time, different place, different everything. I can't assume I would be irresponsible as a practitioner to assume that that's the best form for my people here today. And so if I, so, so my path then of learning is twice as hard because not only am I trying to learn the old form and understand it, but now I have to work with my own helping spirits to hunt down how each piece functioned because the teacher couldn't share that with us. So, This, then, is the crux of the challenge. As contemporary shamanic practitioners, we must design and conduct effective rituals and ceremonies. And what we need to do to actually do that when we're in a constant dance between honoring and understanding the shamanic lineages and traditions of those who have gone before us and the need to respond effectively to contemporary problems, some of which didn't even exist for traditional cultures, like alcoholism. AIDS, and the epidemic proportions of dead people that we're dealing with right now who have not crossed over and cleared, into the, cleared the land of the living and made it all the way to the land of the dead, these dead people are coming up all over the place. You see it in Betsy Bergstrom's talk about overshadowing. We see it in Mary Coltis's work. And all of these practitioners were all starting to talk about, you know, what is with all these dead people? And so this whole issue is not a traditional shamanic issue, not that it didn't happen randomly and occasionally it did, but not epidemically, not in these proportions. So what do we do? We can't for AIDS, for alcoholism, for this issue. These are examples of things we can't go back to tradition to find the answer. They're not there because the problem wasn't there. And the traditions, the traditional healing that exists, exists because people ask the question, how do we fix this? Well, wasn't there to need to be fixed. So you see the challenge that we face. So this is what I humbly propose that we do as contemporary practitioners. I believe that first we must develop a full complement of helping spirits as traditional shamanic people did. It is simply not enough to have a couple power animals you know how to journey to and assume that they will compensate for your own blind spots. It doesn't work that way. Not that journeying and having a helping spirit doesn't work that way, it does. But as practitioners, we need to take that relationship deeper and develop it as our traditional brothers and sisters did. We need to understand what it means to pick up the medicine of our helping spirits And we are not picking up the medicine of our helping spirits, just journeying with them. That to pick up the medicine of a helping spirit is a transformational process. It is rigorous. It is often painful. It is challenging. And it will make us different people. It will change our paradigm as contemporary people. And this is the one thing that I would encourage shamanic practitioners to do, is to challenge yourself to grow out of being a contemporary person and find a way to be a shamanic person in contemporary times. And this, I feel, is the challenge, and it is our helping spirits, those who have come to us, that are best prepared to help us to do that. And then the next thing that we must do, I believe, in my my humble proposal here, is that we need to cultivate rich and challenging and invigorated relationships with our own ancestral helping spirits. That it is absolutely beautiful to travel to different countries and to work in other people's shamanic traditions. But in the end, in terms of our own power and our own ability to design effective ritual and ceremony, we must also connect with our own ancestors and to write that relationship and ultimately to heal the dissonance in those ancestors who did not live in a good way so that we are free um, to to live and to be different than they were, which is very hard to do when they're hanging around um, imposing their unresolved life on us, even as practitioners. We need to cultivate a relationship, a healthy working relationship with the spirits of the land where we live, I cannot tell you how, how, how it hurts my heart when I have stood in ceremony with beautiful, well-meaning people who have studied um, shamanism in another culture. Usually this is Peru. Because there's an awful lot of people able to access that beautiful shamanic tradition. And they come back to North America. And they stand here, for example, in the Pacific Northwest, where we, on a good day, on a clear day, can see snow peaked mountains all around us. And they open up their ritual, calling in the ancestors from their Peruvian tradition and the mountains in Peru. And then they leave out their own ancestors. And they leave out the mountains that are looking down at us while we are performing this ritual. And in this way, my heart breaks. We are missing the point. Not that we shouldn't call in the ancestors of our tradition. Not that we shouldn't call in the incredible Apus of the mountains in Peru. But we must also call in our own ancestors and honor the spirits of the land on which we are working. Or how else will our medicine ever be effective? we also need to begin to cultivate a relationship with the elemental energies where we live, the spirits of the earth and the air and the fire and the water, or if you're a five-element practitioner, the five elements. If you're a three-element practitioner, the three elements. But whatever the elements are of the system in which you practice, they must be brought in as elementals, as essential energies intended in that relationship Or the practices that we practice are, um, well, frankly, I've been weeding a lot. The practices we practice are like weeds that are growing on shade cloth. Their roots are very shallow. They may grow wide, but they're very shallow. And frankly, they're not that hard to pull up. What we need is to be able to root deeply into the essence energies, to tap them in our shamanic work. And to do that, we must have relationships developed with the elemental energies. And, of course, we need to work with our own helping spirits, as I've already mentioned. But ultimately, and here is where I believe as contemporary practitioners, we really fall down. Ultimately, we must cultivate the consciousness and maturity of our own spirit. That we must be mature enough to do what must be done. We must cultivate within ourselves the courage of heart to be mature spiritual people and to bring forward the information that we are given by spirit without editing or censoring creatively so the people can engage with it. Yes. But without dumbing it down, there is a story and I apologize. I am forgetting the um, name of this shaman who was um, of one of the na- North American native peoples. And at the time when my ancestors, the white people were coming in and, pretty much ruining the lives of the native people here. He did a long series of journeys um, and, you know, divining and asking for what he could do to guide his people. And his people were a warrior culture and they wanted to fight. They wanted to drive these white people off their ancestral lands and to hold these lands for their own. And I certainly understand that. I got no complaints there. I get it. And they had every right to do it but what the spirits told this shaman it was a whole story about the chickadee and it was all about teaching his people coming back with this message to these these proud warrior people to be like that little brown bird and disappear disappear into nature be simple be small live simply live humbly and live to see another day Can you imagine the courage of spirit it took for this man to come to these people wanting war, wanting to fight for what was rightfully theirs and tell them they needed to be like the chickadee. I mean, for God's sakes, can you imagine presenting that at the UN right now? So this is, this is what I'm saying is that it, that to cultivate our own, Relate the, the, the our own relationship with our own spirit is a piece of being a contemporary practitioner. And now, the trick here is that each of these relationships is cultivated through different practices and often through processes um, that require that we really learn to get out of our own way. And it is through these actions, as we cultivate these relationships, that we begin to live in and develop that energy system I was talking about earlier. And that within that energy system, then, the rituals and the ceremonies that we are designing and creating can actually work. So it is in balance with all of this spirit health that we must also cultivate within ourselves a strong and resonant truth cord that runs through our own body. So as a practitioner, I need to be able to stand after a ritual that I have created and conducted and know the truth as to whether or not that ritual was effective. It may take time for me to come to that final understanding, but I must be willing to know that truth. I must have the humility to be able to know that it utterly failed. Because I must then go back into my helping spirits and ask why. Because I must grow and evolve as a practitioner. And I must learn from my mistakes. And part of, part of it is being willing to understand that something was a mistake. That it didn't work. It wasn't effective. And to understand why. And the, So the important thing about cultivating a relationship with inner truth is that truth is truth. It resonates no matter the source. When you hear truth, it resonates no matter the ramifications on your life or no matter whether or not you like the truth. And so it is essential that we cultivate this relationship not only with our own spirit, but with our own inner truth core, because in the end, what matters is how this functions in the world. So, Here is the point then that all of these timeless and essential spirit relationships, once they are all in place, we as contemporary practitioners will be able to dance in this interface with respect and courage, but we'll be able to dance in this interface between tradition and innovation with grace and style. And we'll be able to break the rules that have become too rigid and allow the essence energies to flow again while we step out while we step up to the laws of energy that cannot be broken so that our ritual and ceremonies create healing and transform communities and ultimately allow humanity to live together in the world. And so this is the possibility that I see in outlaw shamanism. So thank you all for joining me here today. And, um, and a special thanks again to those of you who have donated. I mean, truly, every single dollar goes to keeping this show on the air. Um, and it is a, a great blessing. Um, each one of you that sends your little PayPal donations in is truly, truly inspiring for me. So I want to thank the ancestors that have held us well here today, the earth below and the sky above and the big love that those two energies um, make when they come together inside each one of us and in all life as we know it. And finally, I'd like to give thanks to the heart and the amazing capacity in the heart to unite each one of us with the environment, um, with life of all forms, and with the spirit world. So thank you all for listening. Know that you can subscribe for a weekly reminder for the show. Many of you don't know that, but you just have to send an email to christina at org. And we'd be happy to sign you up to get um, a once a week e-card reminder of the topic of the show. And the show now has its own website, whyshamanismnow.com. Um, you can find um, shows, you can um, comment on shows, and you are also welcome to donate to the show. Um, and you're also welcome to find us on Facebook. So we're just all over the place. And I hope you'll join us and spread this information with friends and help the show to grow. Thank you all for joining me this week. Thank <music> you.